verse 22. Here we go. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. The title of the sermon this morning is this, His Constant Benevolence. His Constant Benevolence. We're highlighting the compassion of our God in this series and talking about how compassionate our God is to us and how that should motivate us to be busy about doing His work. And so let's look at this thought this morning about how God is benevolent our direction uh, constantly. Lord, thank you for your Bible. Thank you for uh, its truths. And Lord, would you encourage us with them this morning. May we leave here this morning not taking anything good in our lives for granted, but motivated by your constant care of us to go forth and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, aren't you thankful for those who are compassionate on you during difficult times? Over the last handful of months, my wife and I have both gone through being sick. We've both had COVID. I've had it twice. She's had it once because I'm better than her. Amen? Um, and i got to say that when you're sick, it's, uh, it's nice to have someone wait on you hand and foot and look after you and show compassion your direction. There was a little girl who was, who was working very hard to take care of her sick mother. Mom was laid up in bed for a few days and wasn't feeling good. And so she did everything she could to make mom comfortable in bed and then uh, quietly slipped into the kitchen where she was going to go the extra mile and make mom a cup of tea, hot tea. She had seen mom do this for dad when dad was sick, and she thought, I've watched mom do this enough time. I can replicate this kind gesture. And so sure enough, she got the water boiling on the stove and uh, she got the tea leaves down in the water and uh, she um, took the cup of tea to mom and mom was just overwhelmed with joy at how her little girl had, had done this. She said, I did not know that you knew how to make tea. She said, oh, mom, it wasn't hard. I've watched you do it so many times and, and I know just how to do it. And, and mom, I love you so much and, and I wanted to take care of you. Well, well, mom began to sip on the tea. She said, well, well, tell me how you did it. And she said, well, I got the water boiling, got the tea leaves in there and, and I waited till the color was just right. And she said, and then I ran into a problem, Mom. She said, I couldn't find the strainer. Couldn't find the strainer, she said, so I used the fly swatter. <laughs> Mom's spitting the tea out back in the cup. She said, you did what? She said, oh, Mom, don't worry. She said, I know you just bought a new one. I didn't want to mess that one up, so I used the old one. Aren't you thankful for people who are compassionate? Amen? Even if uh, their, their act of compassion sometimes uh, doesn't quite work out. Our theme this year is a heart for God. A heart for God. If you have a heart for God, then working for God will be a natural response to what's deep, deep down inside of you. But what does it mean to work for God? What does that really mean? Um, everything we do should be done to His honor and His glory. Everything we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore ye eat 
or drink, say it with me, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. To the parents here, raising your children to love the Lord is God's work. Loving or respecting your spouse, depending on your gender, that's God's work. Putting forth excellence at your place of employment, whether you work at a church or not, putting forth excellence at your place of employment is God's work. Loving on your neighbors, both around your abode and uh, and beyond, is God's work. These things are God's work. Uh, Treating people ethically, that's God's work. Using your spiritual gifts to further the mission of the church is God's work. I believe that one is given a little more emphasis uh, than many of the rest of these, but all of this is God's work. Sharing the good news of salvation with the lost around you, that's God's work. Edifying and and encouraging the discouraged is is God's work. Uh, What is the motivator that keeps us serving the Lord? What is it that sees a man or a woman busy doing the work of God year after year and decade after decade? It must not be the praise of man or the desire to selfishly gain anything. Our motivator must be a constant understanding of the compassion of God that is given to us on a moment-by-moment basis. Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching and He said in verse 11, he said, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he ask for an egg, ask an egg. If he shall ask an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If ye then being evil, Jesus said, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father Uh, give uh, to the Holy Spirit them that ask Him. Listen, uh, God is a compassionate God. He is a Father that is able to give good to us far better than any man could ever uh, give to their child, than any, uh, 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 any father or mother could ever give to their child. God is a compassionate God. I propose that it is the Lord's compassion that shows pity to us in our state of brokenness. It is the Lord's compassion that pardons us from our sin. It is the Lord's compassion that provides us with so many good things each and every day. It is the Lord's compassion that is the grand motivator by which we do His work and which uh, and His will for our lives. So if you received a bulletin on your way in this morning, on the back of that bulletin is an outline. I encourage you to take notes this morning. Let's look at four truths about God's daily, constant benevolence as we take a deeper look at God's compassion this morning. Let's look at this great stimulus that keeps us working for God for a lifetime. All right, point number one. Let's jump in here. Notice the definition of compassion. The definition of compassion. Letter A, notice compassion explained. Compassion explained. Someone wants to find it this way. They said compassion is putting your hurt in my heart. Putting your hurt 
in my heart. When I can look in your eyes and see hurt, and I can hear you articulate the struggle that's going on in your life, and I can take that hurt and put it in my heart, and I can carry your hurt in my heart, then I've learned how to have compassion toward you. Compassion toward you. Um, J.C. Watts Jr. said this. He said, Compassion can't be measured in dollars and cents. It does come with a price tag, but that price tag isn't the amount of money spent. The price tag is love. The price tag is love. When I take your hurt and put it in my heart, when you take the hurts of others and put it in your heart, and you learn to bear that hurt, you learn to carry that hurt, you learn to care, boy, that's where compassion uh, comes in. That's how compassion is explained. Uh, Take your Bible to Psalm chapter 78. Hold your place in Lamentation 3 there. Psalm 78. And let's do a mini Bible study real quick. And let's see how God is the epitome of compassion. You cannot explain compassion without looking at the author of compassion. God is love. God is compassion. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 uses the word charity in the King James Bible. Uh, Charity. And that word charity means to do for someone who is in a a place of need. Uh, To care for someone who is doing without. That word charity carries with the same concept of compassion and we learn how to be charitable. We learn how to be compassionate from a God who is and defines and embodies compassion. Look at Psalm 78 and look at verse 38. The Bible says, but he, God, being full of compassion. Notice that. Full of compassion. We're going to see that phrase over and over again in the next few verses. God is full of compassion. Forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Turn over to 86 verse 15. Psalm 86 and verse number 15. God is full of compassion. Uh, and through that compassion, He forgives our iniquities. Look at 86.15. The Bible says, But thou, O Lord, art a God. Read the next three words together with me. Ready? Full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Quickly, Psalm 111. 111, verse number 4. 111 and verse number 4. God is a perfect balance of mercy and truth. He is long-suffering. He is gracious. All of these are definers or descriptors of God's compassion. He's full of it. Look at Psalm 111 and look at verse 4. When we get to that phrase, read it with me. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious, ready, and full of compassion. Uh, Look at Psalm 112. 112 and verse 4. Ready? Here we go. Under the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. One more. Psalm 145. Psalm 145. And look at verse number 8. Psalm 145 and verse number 8. I'll begin reading. You can catch up with me. It says, The Lord is gracious, ready, and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. God is full of compassion. Uh, Listen, I went to uh, the gas station this week and my gas tank was not full. It was empty. In fact, I barely made it in. How many of you here are like me? You wait to the very last minute to get gas. All right. How many of you don't let it get below quarter tank and you're getting gas? All right. You all are the frugal ones and I need to learn from you. Amen. Uh, I hardly ever run out of gas, but I know right where that line is. I've got a 25 gallon tank in my vehicle and I've been known to put 24 and a half gallons 
in at the pump. So I'm running it all the way down to the bottom. And um, uh, I, I, my gas tank was on E. You know what? God's compassion tank is never on E. It, it, it is inexhaustible. It is constantly full. God does not have to find some place, some pit stop, so that He can fill back up on compassion. No, that compassion is limitless. It is endless. It is constantly full. Um, God's passion is incomprehensible. God's compassion is inexplicable. God's compassion is immeasurable. God's compassion is infinite in every way possible. You cannot exhaust the compassion of God. The reason why God did not send Adam and Eve straight to hell after they ate of the fruit is because it would have gone against his very nature of compassion. God looked down on Adam and Eve. He saw that they had sinned. He saw they had brought the death curse upon them. And instead of God picking them up by the nap of the neck and dropping them in hell, God looked at them and with a corner, a tear in the corner of his proverbial eye, he said, I love them. I have compassion on them. My very nature of compassion will not let me do it because God embodies compassion. Compassion explained, letter B. Notice compassion exemplified. Compassion exemplified. Uh, we see compassion exemplified in the Bible by a desperate mother. First Kings chapter 3, verse 26. The Bible says, Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O oh my Lord, this is lady speaking to King Solomon, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. But the other said, let it uh, neither be mine nor thine, but divide it. Uh, many of you know the story about the baby brought before King Solomon and the argument over whose child it was. And Solomon said, bring me a sword. And, and uh, he said, cut the baby in half and give half to this mom and half to that mom. And uh, the one mom had compassion. And she said, no, please, just give her the baby. Do not do this horrible thing. And, and Solomon, through his wisdom, was able to tell who the mother was. And we're drawing out here that this mother had such compassion Compassion on her living child. We see uh, compassion exemplified by a princess and a lost child who would later become a prophet. Exodus 2 6 tells us about Pharaoh's daughter and baby Moses floating down the Nile. The Bible says that when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews. Children and so this uh, this Hebrew mother, or rather this princess, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, looked down and saw this baby who was supposed to have been killed by the edict of her father. And compassion yearned within her, and she said, "No, we need to keep this child alive. That child would later be Moses and lead the Israelites out of bondage from Egypt." We see compassion exemplified by our Savior as He gave sight to two blind men. Matthew chapter twenty, verse thirty-four. The Bible says, "So Jesus had compassion." On them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. That must have been quite a sight scene, right? Where Jesus is walking, uh, 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 just left the city of Jericho, Matthew 20 tells us. He's leaving the city, he's heading to his next destination. There's a big raucous, there's a big crowd following him. Two blind men sitting outside of the town who've just been pushed to the side by society. They find out it's Jesus and they begin to cry out above the crowd, have mercy on his son of David. And, 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 and everyone's saying, shh, be quiet. Don't bother the, the, the master. Don't bother the Savior. And Jesus halts. He comes 
comes to a stop and He turns to the men and out of a heart of compassion, He's taken their hurt. He's put it in His heart. And He says, what what will I do for you? And they said, please, let us see. And Jesus gives these men their sight. Can you imagine that the first time in their lives? They opened their eyes and they could see. They could see. And what did they do? They leaped up from their spot and they immediately followed Jesus. His compassion had touched their life. Why? Because we see a God who is full of compassion. Jesus, the God-man, God on earth, Jesus robed in flesh. He had the compassion uh, of God within Him and He turned and He healed these two blind men. We see, number one, the definition of compassion. Let's see, number two, the depravity of mankind. The depravity of mankind. Turn back to Lamentation 3 with me in your Bibles and look at verse number 22. Lamentation 3 and look at verse number 22. Two, the Bible says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. We are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Why does God need to show us compassion? The reason is because if God wasn't compassionate, we would live under His wrath. We would live under His wrath. I can explain to you in just a paragraph so many questions, so many people question God on things. And I can help give you an answer to many of those questions in just one simple paragraph. Because you and I are sinners, we deserve to spend eternity in hell. Any day outside of hell is a good day. So why are you questioning God about the problem you're going through? You're not in hell, are you? You're not falling through the flames of of damnation, are you? No matter how bad it is, I promise you, if I could put you in an elevator and take you down to hell and show you what those people are going through, every one of them would trade places with the person who's in the worst spot on planet Earth right now. People say, well, I think we've got hell on Earth. Then you don't understand much about hell. Why would God send? See, some people say, well, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? And I think that misses, I think that question is misleading on so many fronts, on so many fronts. You see, hell tells us just how much God hates sin. We come, we become comfortable with it. And we accept it as part of our day-to-day life. All of us sin probably every day, if not every day, almost every day. I'll go out, I'll I'll step out a little further than that. I probably sin several times a day. You understand, the only thing keeping us from being utterly obliterated by a holy God is the fact that He's compassionate. We, We love to focus on the holiness of God. And we've done that in the last few weeks talking about worshiping the Lord, praising the Lord. We love to focus on the holiness of God, and that's needed because that helps us understand a a, a little bit better about what right is. But what we don't enjoy doing is focusing on the depravity of man. We are so depraved. We are so sinful. We are so wretched. We are so vile. We are so lost before a holy God. 
If it was not for a God who had a heart full of compassion, if that compassion was not a buffer against the anger and wrath of God and His hatred towards sin, if God did not love the sinner uh, while hating the sin, if that love, that compassion was not there in the heart of Almighty God, you understand that uh, His wrath would be poured out on sin and we would be immediately destroyed. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 64, 6. Isaiah, who had stood in the very presence of God himself. Isaiah 64, 6. Isaiah said this. He said, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. If I ask people why they believe they're going to heaven, the most common answer I get is because I'm a good person. And I just want to say this morning that um, we don't understand good until we have existed in the presence of God. Isaiah was a good man by man's standards. Isaiah was the preacher of the people. Isaiah lived a life that was holier than most of his uh, common man. But Isaiah, as soon as he entered the presence of God, threw himself prostrate on his face and he said, I am filthy, I am wicked, I do not deserve to be in the presence of an almighty God. The truth is, if uh, God let you, in your lost state, God let you into his presence, you would immediately understood, understand you would immediately understand that you are disqualified to be there the very second you walked into heaven. You would understand that in such a profound and deep way that you would beg to be drug out of heaven because you are unworthy because of your filthy sin. You say, well, but I'm a righteous person. I do good things. Isaiah said that even his righteousnesses were filthy rags in the sight of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, As it is written, there is none righteous. None righteous. None, none. That means you. That means me. None righteous. No, not one. Edwin Cooper was famous across America, yet almost no one knew his real name. Coming from a family of circus clowns, Cooper began performing before audiences when he was just nine years old. After a stint with the Barnum and Bailey Circus, he became a fixture on television in the 1950s known as Bozo the Clown. How many of you watched Bozo the Clown? I watched Bozo the Clown growing up. The grand pot prize game. You all remember the grand prize game? You throw the balls into the buckets and you get, there's a hundred dollars. Anyway, um, in addition to entertaining both young and old, Cooper had a message for his buddies and partners every week. Get checked for cancer, he'd say. Yet Cooper was so busy working that he neglected to follow his own advice. By the time his cancer was discovered, it was too late to be treated. Edwin Cooper died at just 41 years of age from a disease he had warned many, many others about for a lifetime. Sin is far more deadly 
than the most aggressive and fast-growing cancer. Sin kills and destroys everything it touches. From the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden until now, sin takes no prisoners. This is the purpose behind everything Satan does. Jesus said, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Because of, his, uh, because of his evil nature and his hatred of everything good, the devil brings destruction to everything within his reach. You understand that we are so sinful, we are so depraved, that if it was not for a compassionate God, we would not stand any chance. We see the, de- the definition of compassion, the depravity of mankind. Number three, notice God's devotion to his creation. God's devotion to his creation. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here as we look at the compassion of God articulated very carefully. Letter A, notice his pity on our souls. His pity on our souls. Turn over to Psalm 103. Please, everyone, if you have a Bible, uh, uh, please participate. Psalm 103 in verse number 13. We're going to look at four or five verses here. Five verses here. And um, focus on how God pities us. He pities us. Look at verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children... So the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Verse 14 has made me shed more than one tear in my life. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. For a moment, I think it's important that we just pause and we stop looking at the world through our eyes and maybe try to look down on humanity, mankind, through God's eyes. What does he see? when he looks down at 8 billion people walking this earth? What does he see as a holy God who's never sinned when he looks down at your day today and my day today? You know what he sees? He sees just how broken each one of us are. Yes, our sin angers God. But God... But God's compassion causes him to feel pity toward us. He knows that we are but dust. He knows that we have a bend and natural desire toward sin. When a child is born into this earth, that child is born not a wise young man or young lady or a foolish young man or young lady, That child is born as a simple young man or young lady, but that child is born with a bend toward and a direction of foolishness and sin. And as that child gets older, mom and dad's job is to 
is to cultivate a culture in the home that convinces the child to look away from sin and foolishness and to look toward righteousness and giving their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But our world is so good at luring and drawing and convincing children that living, uh, living their life according to sin and foolishness is both good and acceptable and somehow uh, they teach in some convoluted way that doing right and following God's Word and giving your heart to Jesus and living according to the principles of the Bible, they convince them that somehow those things are bad. God looks down on a humanity that's lost its moral compass. If I could take uh, the average man off planet Earth and I could compare them to someone lost in a forest, we'll call that forest uh, a, a morality forest. Uh, listen, the compasses are all flipped upside down and turned backwards and, and south is north and east is west. And this is why the Bible tells us that in the last days that good would be called evil and evil would be called good. And, and we have lost our way. And God looks down on humanity. God looks down on mankind. And He says the men and women of this world, they're lost and He has pity on our souls. He remembers that we are but dust. He remembers. He remembers that we are as grass that fades. As grass that fades. Look back at verse 17 again. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children. God feels great pity toward fallen humanity. He looks down on us and He sees how broken and dysfunctional we are. And it breaks His heart. God looked at the Israelites in bondage. And the Bible tells us that He felt pity for their pain. Exodus 3.7 Jesus looked down at Jerusalem and saw people who had lost their way. And the Bible says He felt pity or compassion on them. Jesus commanded each one to love his neighbor as himself. And then when pressed, Jesus shared the story of the Good Samaritan, a man who felt great pity over his fellow man who laid wounded in the ditch. A young boy on an errand for his mother had just bought a dozen eggs. Walking out of the store, he tripped and dropped the sack. All the eggs broke, and the sidewalk was a mess. The boy stood there trying not to cry, embarrassed by the situation, brokenhearted that he had wasted his mom's quarter over his clumsiness. A few people gathered to see if he was okay and to express their condolences and tell him how sorry they were. In the midst of the words of, the, of pity, one man handed the boy a quarter. Then he turned to the group and said, I care 25 cents worth. How much do the rest of you really care? You see, God does not just pity our souls. Let her be noticed. He pardons our sins. His pardon of our sins. Turn over to Micah chapter 7 in your Bibles. Micah, I'll give you a moment to get there. Micah chapter 7. Micah is in the, um, toward the end of the Old Testament. Right before the book of Nahum. Not that you know where Nahum is. Good luck. <laughs> Seven or eight books before the uh, end of uh, the Old Testament. Most of those books are short. Micah, I'll give you a moment to find there. Lamentations three twenty six says it is it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. 
It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Micah chapter 7. Look at verse number 18. These verses are beautiful. I preached a sermon out of Micah a handful of weeks ago, and I mentioned how much I love Micah because he preached hellfire and brimstone, but he did it with compassion and a tear in the corner of his eye. And you get a little bit of that, uh, that compassion from Micah, uh, from God through Micah here in Micah 7. Look at verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? That's a legal term. And passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, but he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. There is a a tension that goes on in the heart of God. And that tension is between His anger, His wrath against sin, and His compassion of humanity. And you can see throughout the Old Testament that never was God's compassion any less than infinite or full, but you can see throughout the Old Testament with the Jews, you can see God getting angry at His people over their sin, and then His compassion would come back and take over, and He would forgive and restore. And here, Micah is saying that God not only forgives, God pardons Iniquity. He pardons iniquity. That means that he wipes them away. It's as though they never happened. Think about a, a, a man who's been found guilty of murder and put in jail. And at the last moment before he's to face the death sentence, the President of the United States or the Governor of the state offers him a full pardon as though it never ever even happened. And he's set free from bondage. His name is cleared and God wants to offer a pardon. Why? Not because we somehow have deserved it or earned it. You cannot earn a pardon from God because the consequences of sin is hellfire. But God, in His compassion, He offers a full pardon of our sin. Longfellow Longfellow could take a worthless sheet of paper, write a poem on it, and make it worth $6,000. That's genius. Rockefeller could sign his name to a piece of paper and make it worth a million dollars. That's capital. Uncle Sam could take gold, stamp an eagle on it, and make it worth $20. That's money. A mechanic could take material that is worth only $5 and make it worth $50. That's skill. An artist can take a 50-cent piece of canvas, paint a picture on it, and make it worth $1,000. That's art. God can take a sinful life. He can wash it in the blood of Christ put His Spirit in it, and make it a blessing to humanity, that's salvation. That's salvation. But not only does God pardon our sins when we bow our head and put our faith in Christ. God pardons our sins as His children every time we come to Him in prayer. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If you know it, say it with me. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm so glad that every time I go to God, and I've blown it and I've done wrong, if, as long as I agree with God over my, spirit, over, over my sin, both intellectually and emotionally, every time I do, God holds no grudge. God holds no grudge. You see, God remembers that I am but dust. 
He knows that my frame is weak. And when I blow it and I do wrong, and I bend a knee and I bow my heart and I confess my sin to God, each and every time, each and every time, God forgives me. He pardons me. He moves on. How is He able to do that? Can I ask you a question this morning? Have you ever had someone do you wrong so many times? They came to you with a contrite heart. They came to you to apologize and you you just weren't ready to do it. Have you ever had that happen? Raise your hand this morning if you've ever had that. But you know why? Because your compassion tank was on E. Your compassion tank was where Pastor Lejeune's car gets sometimes. It was running on fumes. Maybe it was on the side of the road and completely out of gas. That person had exhausted you. And deep down in your heart, you might know about that person's struggles in life. You might know about their dysfunctionality. You might know all the reasons why, but they've hurt you so many times. They come to you and apologize, and you think, you know what, I just can't do it. I'm sorry. Check back later. My compassion tank is empty. God's compassion tank is always full. And when we come to Him over and over and over and over again, and we apologize over and over and over again, and we confess our sin over and over and over and over again, He forgives our sins and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad that God doesn't hold grudges? Aren't you glad that God does not walk around with a passive-aggressive attitude toward you the way some of you do toward your spouses? Amen? I wish y'all could see what I see up here. Amen? Sometimes I see a husband trying to put his arm around his wife, and she scoots away. And I think, "Uh uh-huh, yep, they're not on good terms. Amen? And the husband, you know, he plays it off real good. I was just stretching, you know? And um, everything's good. And um, I see see passive-aggressive all the time. You know why? Uh, And sometimes I can become passive-aggressive. Sometimes I can even become aggressive. You've heard the phrase, Fight or flight, fight or flight, you generally flight, you become passive-aggressive, and then you're backed in a corner, you can't take any more, and you come out swinging uh, verbally, hopefully not physically swinging, amen? You come out verbally swinging, and you're attacking, and you're being nasty, and you're being unkind. Why? Because your compassion tank is empty, but God is never passive-aggressive. Never passive-aggressive. He is quick to forgive. He's quick to pardon. We see letter A, His pity. Letter B, uh, His uh, pardon. Letter C, notice His provision. His provision of our daily needs. Lamentations chapter 3. Turn back to Lamentations chapter 3. Verse number 24. Lamentations 3 verse 24. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him. For the soul that seeketh Him. Psalm 37, if you could find your way over to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 and verse number 23. One of the exercises of coming to White Oak Baptist Church, if you bring a Bible with you, is that you're going to get really good at finding your way around the pages of Scripture. And you're going to become familiar with your Bible. Psalm 37, we want to make sure the Word of God is at the forefront of all we do here at our church. Psalm 37, look at verse number 23. With me, his provisions of our daily need. The Bible says uh, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. We see the provision of God's restoration here. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. David continues, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread, 
He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. David said, I've, I've, I've been around a long time. David said, I've been everything from a farmer in the rural backwoods where no one knew me to the king, the most prominent king in the world. He said, I've seen a lot in my time. He said, one thing I've never seen is that someone who's righteous begging bread. I've never seen someone who's righteous who God did not provide for. God, in his compassion, provides for us. Charles Spurgeon told the story of his grandfather James and his faith in God. He had a large family, James did, and a very small income, but he loved his Lord, and he would not have given up his preaching of the gospel for anything. One day, the cow on which the family relied for milk for the children suddenly died. James Spurgeon's wife was greatly concerned, but he said, God said he would provide, and I believe he can send us 50 cows if he so pleased. On that same day, a group met in London, a a group James Spurgeon did not know that wanted to help meet the needs of poor pastors. They raised a large sum of money and began sending it to different pastors in need uh, to help their families. When they reached the end of the list, they, were, uh, still fi- they still had five pounds left. One man who knew of James but did not know him personally, knew of James, suggested sending it to James Spurgeon. Another said, no, let's not just send five pounds. Let me add five more to go with it. After all of the money was collected, they had enough money to buy a cow for James Spurgeon. God had provided for their need because James had faith in God and God's compassion took care of that need. Sometimes I believe Christians behave in such a way where they think that they're owed Something by God. Everything good in our lives is a gift from God that we do not deserve. We do not deserve. If God wanted to, He had every right to take the breath away from you right now. The air we breathe is least on lease from God. I know that uh, oftentimes we look at our health struggles and we focus on those. We have, what, eight or nine um, systems that, that keep our body functioning. I'm, I'm, science class was a long time ago. Eight or nine uh, systems that keep our body functioning. Do you know those all work together as a team to keep you going and working? And we focus on that one malady. That, that is hampering our quality of life, and we forget that our body is still running oftentimes at 90 to 95% efficiency because God is in the background making those things work. Every two weeks or every week or every month, those of you that work, you have a paycheck deposited in your account. You take that money for granted. Did you know that tomorrow God could take your ability to work away? You'd never have a paycheck. It is only, listen, you didn't earn the right for God to pour out His benevolence on you. God is not benevolent to you because you've earned it. God is benevolent to you because He's full of compassion and it's His nature to do so. I look around at all of the good in my life and on a regular basis, I say to Angela, I say to my kids, I say, we do not deserve any of this. Any of this. 
everything good in my life is because God has chosen for some odd reason to pour out compassion all over me. The same is true for you. The same is true for you. You may be sitting here today and you may have all kinds of problems in your life and you may have a spirit of complaining about you and I would say that you are focusing on the 5% in your life that stinks and you're missing out on the 95% of God's benevolence that's being poured out on you on a daily basis. And it's time we shift our thought. It's time we shift our thinking and we look down at the good in our life and we say, Lord, thank You for Your compassions. They fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And that brings us to the thrust of our series, Working for God, number four, God's desire for the redeemed. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll finish here. Ephesians chapter 2, we're bringing the plane in for landing. We're almost done. Look at verse number 8. By the way, to have multiple closings as a pastor is biblical. Did you know that? The Apostle Paul said, finally, brethren, and there was a whole other chapter after that. So, um, it's, it's biblical. Amen? Ephesians 2, look at verse number 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. You know what that is? That's our faith being mixed with God's grace, God's compassion. We could not be saved from hell if it wasn't for God's compassion. That's that pity. That's that pardon. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, you didn't earn it, not of yourselves, It is the gift of God. Salvation is not earned. It's not based on you being good. It's because God showed compassion on your pitiful soul and He saved you and you put your faith in Him. And if you've not done that, you need to do it today. Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now before we get to verse 10, I want to set the stage for verse 10. Listen, uh, God's compassion is the reason why the saved are saved. Amen? You put your faith in that compassion, that grace, and that was a major factor. Your faith was a major factor, but without His compassion, without His pardon, you could not know salvation. Now look at verse 10. What's God's desire for you now that you are saved? And I'm speaking to those that are. Verse 10. Let's read it together. Ready? For we are His workmanship, created into Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Why did God save you? So that you could sit around and act pious? Act like you're better than everybody else? Why did God save you? So you could have fire insurance and just not go to hell? God saved you for a work. He saved you to get busy doing His work. Too many Christians are too busy sitting around on their hands doing nothing for the Lord. Or they're working for the Lord with the wrong motive in mind. Whatever is done for God without respect of its comparative characters related to other acts is service. And only that is service. Service is, comprehensively speaking, doing the will of God. He is the object. All is for Him, for His sake, as unto the Lord, not as unto men. Hence, even the humblest act of, uh, of humblest disciple acquires a certain divine quality by its being done with rev- reference to Him. The supreme test of service is this, for whom am I doing this? Much that we call service to Christ is not such at all. If we are doing this for Christ, we should not care 
for human reward or even recognition. What is it that motivates you to get up and do the work of the Lord? Is it duty? Is it, is it praise of man? Is it some sort of paycheck? Or is it some sort of selfish ulterior motive? Or are you doing the work of God because His compassion fails not? His compassion is dumped on you. His benevolence is constant. It's regular in your life. And through that, you love your children. Through that, you support your spouse. Through that, you're a good worker on the job. Through that, you're ethical in your business dealings. Through that, you're a good neighbor to those around you. Through that, you are serving God at church, using your spiritual gifts to further the gospel of Jesus Christ and the growing of the saints. You see, only because of His compassion, we do that work. And when we take off the blinders of complaining and we focus on His goodness in our life, Boy, what we see is that God is good all the time. Amen? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I know I'm going to heaven, not because I'm a good person, not because of my works, but because of His finished work on the cross. I've put my faith in Jesus I know I'm going to heaven. Here's my hand and testimony of that. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right where you are? I know I'm going to heaven. I've put my faith in Jesus. Many, many hands. Thank you. Some of you did not raise your hand. And if you did not, because you do not know you're going to heaven, I want to thank you for being honest. I want to thank you for being introspective and careful. While you're being introspective, let me ask you another question. Where would you go if you died? You see, God loves you so much that in His compassion, He sent Jesus Christ to the cross to die on on that cross for your sin. He died for you. He suffered the consequences of your sin so that you could have those same iniquities pardoned and you could be set free. But until you put your faith in Jesus, my friend, you cannot know you're going to heaven. If you're here today and you do not know you're going to heaven, I'd just simply like to pray for you. So in the privacy of the moment, with everyone else's heads bowed and eyes closed, it's just me and you, just me and you. If you do not know you're going to heaven, would you just say, Pastor Lejeune, would you pray for me? I'm not sure where I'd go if I died. Here's my hand. Would you please pray for me? Is there one? Would you, just, would you please pray for me? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Is there one? How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, either I'm not doing the work of God the way I ought to be, or I've been doing it for the wrong motive. Pastor, I've had a maybe a little more of a complaining spirit than I've had, I should have, and I need to take my focus and put it on God's goodness in my life. I need to focus on His compassion and use that as the stimulus, the motivating force by which I serve. And Pastor, would you please pray for me that I'll get busy doing the work of the Lord with the right reasons. Here's my hand. Would you please pray for me? Many hands. Many hands. I'll be praying for you that you are motivated, motivated by that compassion to serve the Lord. God, would you help us this morning as we continue to search our hearts? Lord, would you help us to lay our hearts open before you? May you search us. Know our thoughts. Try our reins. See if there be any wicked way in us. And uh, cleanse us from within. Renew a right spirit within us. Restore unto us the joy of thy salvation. and Lord, may we know what it means to walk with you and do the work for you as we develop a heart for God. In Jesus' name.